0: that God actually shows up physically and speaks to him. It's a vision, it's a dream, but it says that God is present, and he appears to this young king, and he says to the young king, ask anything you want from me, and it will be yours. What a dream scenario, right? To have God show up and say, ask anything you want from me, and it will be yours. And the young king, uh, as God asks him this question, uh, talks about how God's been so good to his father David and has shown favor to his father David and built up this kingdom and and, uh, protected his father throughout his life. And he thinks about how thankful he is for God's faithfulness to his dad. And he says, if there's one thing that I want going forward here as the king of this mighty kingdom, he says, if there's one thing that I could have, it would be wisdom. If you could just bless me with the gift of wisdom and knowledge, so that I could run this kingdom. And uh, he's like, that would be enough. So, of all the things he could have asked for, this young man asked for wisdom. I wonder what I would do in that situation. Uh, I, it's almost like I imagine almost like this genie in, this, in, in a bottle showing up in front of me. And obviously, that's not how God works or what it probably looked like. But if I could ask for anything uh, to be like this king and ask for Wisdom, um, I think is very interesting. This king, his name is Solomon. Some of you probably know his story. He's considered one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth. And there's even wisdom in his decision to ask for wisdom. And what happens is this conversation he's having with God, God is shocked and says, you know, you don't ask for riches or wealth. You don't ask for protection, you don't ask for long life, you don't ask for uh, ill upon your enemies, but you've asked for wisdom. And because you've done that, I'm going to give you wisdom. And all of these other things that most people would ask for, you're going to get that as well. And what we find is God shows his favor on them, and there's this, uh, this blessing where God says, I'm going to establish you as this wise leader, and your kingdom will have never seen anything like this. What we know from Solomon is that uh, he becomes one of the wisest rulers that history has ever seen. And I thought about this story, and I thought about as God uh, grants him a wish, basically, and he asks for wisdom. As we start a new year, as we uh, start 2016, um, there's a newness, there's a freshness to this season, this week in my family, uh, we took all of our Christmas stuff and put it back in the garage. And for some people, it's very sad. For me, it's the most exciting thing. I just—I I, Christmas is great, um, but I love just that newness of the season. And many people are making resolutions. Many people have goals and dreams for what 2016 can be. But what if we approached 2016 with this simple request of King Solomon, and said, Lord? Would you grant me wisdom this year? Would you grant us wisdom, wisdom for our family, wisdom for our community, wisdom for our church as we approach this year? For Solomon, that's his first request. What if we had the same thing? And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we were considered wise as a people of God, wise as a church community, wise in all the decisions that we make, wise in how we live life? So I thought it would be great to, to open up January with this kind of a study, teaching series on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is, uh, the tradition tells us a lot of Solomon, this wise ruler's uh, writings, go into the book of, uh, of, of Proverbs, among other things that he writes. But what if we just dove into Proverbs and said, Lord, would you just give us wisdom as we... Start out 2016. Grant us wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, what I've come to define wisdom as is this: it's wisdom is the application of knowledge. And wisdom's more than that. But what I've found is that wisdom is being able to uh, live skillfully in the world with what we've been given, and how that affects the way that we interact with the world around us, interact with people, interact with making decisions. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. I took a uh, a spiritual gifts test uh, a few years ago, and I don't know if you've ever done that. You kind of kind of hone in on what your gifting is, what God's called you to do. And um, my my top gift uh, was knowledge, and that made sense. I love history. I love to read. Um, One of my lowest gifts was wisdom, which is the application of knowledge. And I thought, yikes, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Nobody likes those kind of people, right? The know-it-alls. Uh, but, but wisdom is the, the application of knowledge. Uh, in the New Testament, there's an author named James uh, who writes uh, a letter. And this letter is kind of considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a lot of wisdom that's put into James. James talks about uh, really how there's two kinds of wisdoms, And as he defines it in James uh, chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there. In James chapter 3, he says this, and I'll just read it. It's not on uh, the screen behind me. It says, with the wisdom, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He goes on to say, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So James talks about two kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom, and then there's a heavenly wisdom. The earthly wisdom, we see that. We see a lot of people who are just extremely successful in this world. There's there's kind of like a street knowledge where you just know people, their life hacks, and, and, and that's good. But sometimes that wisdom, he talks about how can be driven by bitter envy or selfish ambition. He says there's another kind of wisdom another kind of skillful living that comes from God and it's, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit. It's something that is sincere. And you know this when you're around people who have this kind of wisdom. They just seem to be authentic and genuine and, and smart. And, and you know when you're around them, uh, they're the kind of people that uh, you just want to be with because you know there's something that they have uh, that's almost otherworldly. Maybe you have people in your life like this, that when you're near them, there's this approachable, uh, pres- they have this approachable presence. You know that you could go to them with advice. You know that you could go to them uh, with tough issues. And it's just like, yeah, there's this heavenly wisdom that comes from them. Wisdom. Heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. You know, Solomon writes... Uh, these, these wisdom sayings that he puts into the book of Proverbs and some other books that, that we know that he participates in. And when we look at Proverbs, it's interesting. Proverbs is written originally in Hebrew. And these, uh, these Hebrew poets, Solomon, and, and some of the people that are writing, uh, when they're trying to convey what wisdom this earthly, uh, this heavenly wisdom uh, is, as they're, as they're trying to, to explain that, these, these theologians and these poets Uh, They talk about wisdom as a female. And as you read the Hebrew, you find is that they're they're saying that wisdom, uh, as they teach about wisdom, it's this personification of God's wisdom, and it's a female voice. And throughout Solomon, you have this wisdom calls aloud to all of us. Wisdom calls out to each and every one of us. Wisdom is this this person uh, in this poem of Proverbs. And it's interesting that uh, as, we, as we read it, we find when these great theologians are talking about what godly wisdom is like, they use a female metaphor. Women, round of applause for you, right? <laughs> uh, what we find is that also in, in Proverbs, uh, as it was written in Hebrew, uh, and as we find out throughout history, the, Greeks, uh, the Greek empire comes in, and they kind of control everything, and they take the scripture, and they write it into uh, from Hebrew, they translate it into Greek. and in this Old Testament, is called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, they, the, the term they use for wisdom is the term Sophia. Sophia would be a great name for a daughter, just in case you have one. Um, Sophia is, it is, so it literally says that Sophia calls out uh, to all of us. Wisdom calls to each One of us. Sophia calls out this personification of God's wisdom. And we think about uh, how the the writers are are putting this in uh, to the sacred text that we have. Wisdom, this heavenly wisdom, calls to each one of us. And it does this because God has this desire for us to experience life to the full as we travel through this world. And when we think about what Scripture tells us, Scripture reveals to us this this great plan of salvation that God has put into place, and it has eternal implications. And we talk about the eternal implications. But as we read Scripture, what we also find is there is something for us here and now as we journey through life that affects eternity. And so as, as Scripture talks about wisdom... It invites us to live a certain kind of way here and now, to live wise in this world. There are certain benefits uh, to, to this wisdom. I love what Eugene Peterson says. Eugene Peterson says, Wisdom is the art of living skillfully, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever our circumstances. Wisdom is the art of living Skillfully, as we desire this heavenly wisdom from God, as 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 wisdom calls out to us, it invites us that no matter what our circumstances, God guides us to live skillfully in the midst of those circumstances. That's one benefit of wisdom. Another uh, benefit is that wisdom, when when we when we uh, become wise, wisdom continues to affirm and enrich life. It affirms and enriches life. It talks about in Proverbs how, in his wisdom, God sets creation into motion. And as we tap into this heavenly wisdom, uh, we, we join God in living in this world of stewarding the creation, of stewarding our resources, of stewarding our relationships. And wisdom helps affirm the good in creation, and wisdom uh, enriches our lives as we travel through this world. Another benefit, and we see that in the life of Solomon, by the way, we see how his life is enriched by wisdom and all of the things that you think you would ask God for, he receives because he lives wisely in this world. Third benefit is that wisdom is described, once again, it's described as a person. Wisdom is described as one who protects people from temptations that ensnare them. Wisdom is described as one who protects people from temptations that ensnare them. And what we find in the book of Proverbs, this wisdom's call, is that wisdom is speaking against certain destructive forces in our life. And as we seek the path of wisdom, what we find is there are two paths in front of us. One of wisdom that leads to living in peace and shalom with God and others, and one that leads to destruction. And so there's this kind of back and forth throughout Proverbs of those who are wise and those who are foolish. And we're invited into this wise way of living, where we're protected from the things that destroy us. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's this uh, passage that you're probably familiar with, Uh, We kind of get some of the seven deadly sins kind of come from this passage, Uh, not necessarily specifically, but this idea that there are six things that God detests in this world that he just, he hates. There are six things, there are seven things, if you look at kind of how the poetry works out, that God is just against. And when we first read that and we think of God hating anything, the initial thought is like, oh, does this mean that he's... He's this judgmental God that doesn't want us to have any fun. But then when you start to break down what these things are that he despises, you realize that these are things that cause destruction to humanity. And what wisdom does is it helps us navigate these destructive forces that are in the world. And as we look at Proverbs and we dive into this, uh, this book, what we find is that these destructive forces keep popping up. There's this pattern and rhythm Uh, To Proverbs, where wisdom is calling us out away from the destructive forces. And as we look at these forces, these things that God is against, he says, Haughty eyes. Does anyone know what haughty eyes are? (laughs) Pride. Prideful eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension. These are things that God is against. And what we find in Proverbs is over and over again there's these warnings that there are these destructive forces in our lives that can cause destruction, that can hurt humanity and hurt our relationships. These are the things that cause brokenness. And then there's this call from wisdom to a different kind of life, a life that sets us away from the things that ensnare us. So this month, we're going to be kind of looking at breaking down some of these, these deadly, deadly sins. But uh, Today, that's kind of setting up the series. I just want to hone in on one of them for a little bit. And uh, it's this idea of lying, a lying tongue. A lying tongue. I want to hone in on that as we kind of uh, set out to, uh, to navigate through Proverbs. The origin of lying, when we think about what lying is. And lying is something that uh, could be something that's so uh, small, a little white lie, and it could be something that is, uh, can bring down a major corporation in our country. Lying is a tricky thing when we, we think about it, because there's different types of lying, there's different weight of lying. But lying is one of the things that God is against. When we think about the origin of lying, we go all the way back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, this, uh, the first lie that's told is in the garden. And if you've ever read the Bible or watched VeggieTales, you probably are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, and they're given uh, basically... Uh, they're, they're given a, a, a set of, of limits of, of this is what it means to be a part of the Garden of Eden and to steward creation. There's some things that you need to look out for. And one of the things that uh, you need to just stay away from is what the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in this tree, God says, don't go near it, don't touch it. And if you do, it's going to harm you and you will die. And as we come to understand this story, what we know is that, that Satan, the devil, the devil, Uh, appears as a snake. And his first trick, the first time Satan appears in this story, the personification of evil, he tricks Adam and Eve into taking the fruit. And he does that by deceit. He does that by this lie where he says, God is holding out on you. God is actually keeping you from something that you're going to love. Brokenness enters into creation through a lie. The origin of lying goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Satan has been known as the great deceiver. And what we find is that, you know, Adam and Eve, they they are deceived. And they take the fruit. And what they find is that it doesn't deliver on the lie uh, that Satan promises. The origin of lying goes all the way back to the beginning. And we think about why would this be something that God is against because what happens is, in life, when we, when we start to live a lie, when we start to live this alternative reality, uh, we take things that aren't true and we manipulate them for our own gain. We manipulate them for our own selfish ambition. And that can become destructive for ourselves and other people that we're in community with. Lying is not owning up to reality. It's manipulating a situation for our own gain. We find that all the way back in the creation story. Lying has a snowball effect as well. Uh, As soon as you kind of go down this path of of lying, of of living uh, a different kind of life, a double life, um, there's a different kind of operation that takes place. And uh, I could see this uh, in my own life And uh, especially coming out of Christmas. And if you have children around the time of Christmas, uh, you may partake in a fun activity called the Elf on the Shelf. Does anyone here know about the Elf on the Shelf? Okay. The Elf on the Shelf is uh, an elf that appears uh, at your house around December 1st. And the elf is this small little figure. Um, The elf communicates to Santa. And, uh, and so our children know that the elf communicates with Santa. Um, and every night, the elf, in the middle of the night, will get up and move uh, to a different location. So the kids wake up, and they find the elf. Um, and, it, and it's great, because the kids know the elf is watching and reporting back to Santa. Um, but here's, here's the thing. The elf doesn't really report to Santa, Yes. The elf, the elf doesn't actually go to Santa. Um, and, and here's the other thing is that we moved the elf. But our kids don't know that. So the kids think that the elf is reporting to Santa. I'm really hoping that no one can shut it up. So here's one of the things that have happened. And, and whether or not, uh, you know, and, and so Santa, you know, he could see everything anyway. He doesn't need the elf. Um, but for us, the elf uh, became this thing with our children that if we forgot to move it at, one time, at, at any point, it would create all sorts of questions and issues with our children. And so we would have these conversations where, where Mike and Sophia would be like, well, the elf didn't move tonight, what happened? And I'd be like, flat out, uh, I don't know. I think the elf, you know, slept in. <laughs> and I find myself speaking to my eight-year-old daughter and I'm like, I told Martha, I feel like a terrible person. And and there was, there was one time where our youngest, uh, Ezra, uh, touched the elf. And here's the thing about the elf. It has magical powers. But if a child touches it, it loses its powers. And so Ezra touched the elf. And there was this devastating experience in our household as we realized the elf has lost its powers. It can't move anymore. Um, and so... So what we, re- we realized is that, you know, for the elf to get its powers back, um, I think Marcy came up with this, and uh, she read it in, you know, I think like the, the manual of the North Pole or something. Um, the elf had to bathe in cinnamon. And so uh, we had the kids come together and we made a cinnamon bath, and we put the elf up on the counter and we poured cinnamon all over the counter. And, uh, and that's how the elf had its magic powers restored to it. And so before going to bed that, that night, Marcy was like, uh, make sure that, you know, you put like footprints in the cinnamon as the elf is getting out. And I'm like, Are you kidding? So we had this like whole like crime scene in our in our kitchen because uh, we wanted to uh, keep this thing going for our children to say, this is what the elf is. and And... And we all know the elf doesn't really report to Santa. Santa has his other sources, right? Um, But the last month has been terrible for me because I've had all these conversations with my children, and it keeps getting bigger, and it's like this huge snowball effect because of the elf on the shelf. And that happens in this simple little game that we're playing with our children um, as we're, we're a part of this Christmas season with them. And if it, could, if it could happen in something so simple and innocent as that, when we think about the implications of not being honest with people, think about more serious issues. As you start down this path of not telling the whole truth, as you start down this path of leaving out certain facts, it just builds and builds, and before you know it, you've got cinnamon all over the kitchen. Um, and this is kind of the nature of lying, and it happens in all sorts of things. It happens in, it happens in relationships. It happens in business. It happens in marriages. This snowball becomes bigger and bigger, and we try to cover it up, and it becomes bigger. That is one of the destructive forces uh, that takes place when the truth isn't told. When the truth isn't told, Satan pounces on the smallest dishonesty and it becomes like a wildfire that just spreads everywhere. Wisdom's call, Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. When we are dishonest and tell lies, it's a quick fix. It's a short-term answer that creates even a bigger problem in the long term. And wisdom's call reminds us that truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Wisdom's call to us is to be honest people. Wisdom's call to us is to be truthful. As Jesus is interacting with people and his disciples, he has this to say. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The way and the truth of the life. And what Jesus is saying there is that no one comes to the Father through him. It's not like Jesus is this goalie that's trying to stop people from getting past the net. He's not like this gatekeeper that's trying to keep people out. What he's saying is he's the road, the way to the ultimate reality, which is God, which is eternity. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we live a life uh, that's not in the truth, it can lead to very destructive uh, forces. But in Christ, we own up to reality. In Christ, we're in touch with what is true. In Christ, um, we own up to who we really are. And what we find is that in Christ, that's enough because of who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus. So when it comes to 2016, when we start to think about uh, what kind of person do I want to be this year? What kind of person, if I'm starting new and I'm, and I'm moving forward, what does that look like? We want to be honest and authentic people as Proverbs calls us to, to live a life of truth that allows us to have trust, which also allows us to experience transformation. As we close today, one of the things I want to do is kind of an activity of reflection. And uh, as we think about wisdom, as we think about living honest lives, I would like to do something called just the prayer of examine, the prayer of examine. And as we uh, enter into this time of reflection, Matt's going to come back up and lead us. Um, but I don't know if you've ever done anything like the prayer of exam. And it's simply a reflection. And we're going to spend some time. And um, as as Matt uh, comes up and plays, what I'd like you to do is just become aware of God.